0: A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. You, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, you are named forever. Why do you let us wander, O Lord, from our ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down with the mountains quaking before you while you wrought awesome deeds we could not hope for, such as they had not heard of from of old. No ear has ever heard, no eye ever seen, any God but you doing such deeds for those who wait for him. Would that you might need us doing right, that we were mindful of you in our ways. Behold, you are angry and we are sinful. All of us have become like unclean people. All our good deeds are like polluted rags. We have all withered like leaves and our guilt carries us away like the wind. There is none who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to cling to you. For you have hidden your face from us and has delivered us up to our guilt. Yet, O Lord, you, Are our father. We are the clay and you the potter. We are all the work of your hands. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: we shall be saved. Lord, make us turn to you, let us see your face, and we shall be saved.
0: O shepherd of Israel, hearken, from your throne upon the sheriff, shine forth, rouse your power, and come to save us.
2: Lord, make us turn to you, let us see your face, and we shall be saved.
0: Once again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine and protect what your right hand has planted, the Son of Man, whom you yourself made strong. help be with the man of your right hand with the son of man whom you yourself made strong then we will no more withdraw from you give us new life and we will call upon your
2: name Lord let us turn to you let us see your face and we shall be saved.
0: a reading from the first letter of Saint Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always on your account for the grace of God bestowed on you in Christ Jesus, that in him you were enriched in every way with all discourse and all knowledge as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you firm to the end, irreproachable on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and by him you will call to fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord.
2: Lord, your love and grant us your salvation. Hallelujah! 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 The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, be watchful, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his own work, and orders the gatekeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore. You do not know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or in the morning may he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch." The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I want to begin by commending all of you who are here, because I know it's at a great sacrifice. The eyes of the collegiate football world are focused on that great game, Tulane versus SMU. There's another game of lesser note uh, that I have uh, forgot. I can't remember the teams there not really worth remembering, but anyway, so I commend you for sacrificing uh, to, for the green wave. We find ourselves this afternoon at the beginning of another season of Advent, and we are invited this evening to reflect on three great mysteries, three great mysteries, the mystery of Life, the mystery of time, and the mystery of love. The mystery of life. For those of you who have dared to take an introductory course in philosophy, philosophy 101, you know that one of the first questions that you're asked to consider is the question that the great... 18th century philosopher Wilhelm Leibniz said is really the only philosophical question and the one that starts all the others. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why why is there something rather than just nothing? Non-existence, et cetera. there's all kinds of answers. The Big Bang Theory, the slowly evolving universe, It's all just a cosmic accident that took place. Some have put forth various uh, ancient myths that it's all the result of some kind of cosmic war between the gods up there and some kind of great monster. And in the battle between the monsters, various parts became parts of the universe and so on and so forth. And then, of course, there is the story of Genesis. That human existence, if we let's dig down into it a bit, human existence is here because it was intended, it was designed, it is the result of a divine supreme intelligence that intended for this to unfold and to develop as it is. That evidences the very wisdom, the very power and glory of Almighty God. And to dig down even a little further, the question then becomes not so abstract or remote or distant, why are you here? Are you just an accident? just the coming together of some kind of cosmic force, survival of the fittest, of the species? Or is there some reason? Is there some, some overarching purpose and plan for why each and every one of us exists? Now that's, that's not a, an abstract question. It's not an abstract question. It's not a question that we can throw throw up like a basketball in the middle of the game to see who taps and wins the thing. It's one that at some point in our lives, all of us ask, why am I here? What is the purpose of all, why am I going through all of this? And the answering of that question ultimately leads to the question of meaning and truth about our lives. If we're just a cosmic accident, or as the existential philosopher Martin Heidegger said, we are thrown without a thrower. You're just thrown. None of you in here, no human being. We didn't have a vote. Our consent wasn't asked. We just at some point develop that kind of consciousness where we realize who we are, where we are, in space and time. But nobody asked you. There was no consent. We're just here. And therefore life is an attempt to try to figure out as much meaning and purpose as you can. It's sort of like taking the uh, dish rag and squeezing as much water as you can out of it. And then that's it. Or is there some overarching purpose that God... See, it's very hard to answer those questions if you take God out of the equation, as many secularists, many existential philosophers do. God is out of the question, so then it falls to you and to me to become our own God, and to develop our own meaning and purpose and truth. You hear that today. I, I'm living by my truth. Well, is there any objective, absolute, overall truth? Because what happens when my truth conflicts with your truth? Well, we know what happens. We know what happens. We see it too much around us every day. But is there any overarching purpose or plan beyond what I determine for myself? And we all have to answer that question. The testimony of scripture, the testimony of our Catholic faith, is that our vocation is to mirror daily the divine love. For it is love that brought us into existence, not by an accident, but for a purpose. And the great adventure of life between the evenings of birth and death is to come as close as we can to fulfilling that purpose in love, whether it be married, single, doctor, lawyer, street cleaner, student, young, old, rich, poor, black, white. We all have a purpose and a meaning that transcends the ordinary, everyday humdrum of life that we contribute to. Say, well, what is my, what is my, what is your uh, purpose? I have no idea, I have no idea. Each of us must answer that question for himself and herself. But we know the vocation that we all share is to make the divine love present in that part of the world that we touch. We are to bring God who is love to that part of the world. Secondly is the mystery of time. Someone once asked St. Augustine, what is time? And Augustine said, I know what time is until someone asks me what it is and then I don't know. Time is the great mystery. I'll give you a mathematical answer if you want. It's the duration between events. Mm. Okay, Uh, That's not exactly uh, champagne popping uh, information, is it? Now the Greeks, the Greeks were a little bit ahead. The Greeks used two words for time, chronos and karyos. Chronos time is the time that we're immersed in. It's wristwatch time. It's Timex time. It's measurable time. What time is it? That's chronos time, chronometer. It's clock time. That either flows like molasses or speeds like mercury or Hermes, depending on what we're in. That's, that's measurable time. It's quantifiable time, 40-hour week. 60 minutes in an hour, so on. But then there's karyos time. Karyos time is sacred time. It's the time for the inbreaking of a revelation of something beyond the ordinary into the realm of the ordinary and the sacred into the very marrow of our existence. It calls us out of ourselves. And you don't have to be in church for that, by the way. The birth of your first child, to stand in the presence of a loved one who is dying, to keep company with the fallen, to view a sunrise, sunset that lifts you out of yourself, out of your ordinary, everyday world, and then to be in the presence of the blessed sacrament to be in the presence of when we feel God's hand in our lives, those grace moments that we can't quite explain or capture in words. That is a moment of ecstasy out out of our own self in its ordinariness into the very presence of God. It's a mystery. And time is a mystery because our existence is a mystery. But we live in time. We're beings in time. Which leads us to the third and final mystery, which is the mystery of love. When you say love, especially if you talk about God's love, it's very abstract. It's up there in the ether or the black hole or whatever that thing is where all your information is lost, up there somewhere. That's why God's love is not abstract. It's not an idea. It's not a concept or a proposition. It's not a thing. God's love is an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. Without which, love just becomes nothing more than an extension of myself, my own ego, my own manipulation, my own desires. It is that unconditional, disinterested love that seeks not the good of the self, but the good of the one who is loved. That's the unbounded love of God. And that's a great mystery. Because we who exist back to life, limited, temporal, sinful, weak, we who can be ravaged by time, the eternal almighty, in whose image and likeness we are made, loves us unconditionally. It is that unconditional love that saves. It is that unconditional love that all of us look at, look for in some form or another in our lives, without which we live a shriveled existence. Because we live only for ourselves. And that is the most pitiable of existences. If you wish to be unhappy, live only for yourself. Most miserable, isolated, lonely people in the world who live only for themselves. The universe revolves around them and everybody else is a second-rate player. On these few weeks, of Advent, love becomes visible. Right now, if you go to the crib, the crib is empty. It's empty, which very much can symbolize our own lives. The stable of our life and the crib of our cross, of our heart, can be empty waiting to be filled because if all we do is fill ourselves with the passing things of the world, if all we do is fill ourselves with ourselves, we're overfed and undernourished by that which truly endures. These four weeks are preparing to have the crib filled, filled with the only one who can fill it. The unconditional love of God made visible in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Because Jesus is at the center of human existence. He is the eternal now, the Son of God, and yet ended our very existence because love requires involvement. You can't love at a distance. You can't be like Pilate, washing your hands and say, I love you, and move away. God enters totally and completely in our condition in order to redeem us and save us and love us unconditionally. God wants to fill the stable and the crib that's empty in our own lives as only he can. By becoming one like us, I'll end with this: that Ralph Waldo Emerson, very influential thinker in the American experience, once said, "Anticipation is better than participation." Anticipation is better than participation. You know. Uh. Now until December the 25th, we're all excited and anticipating and all of this kind of stuff. And usually by the second helping of Christmas dinner, when the boxes are all open and the papers are all over the floor and the ribbons are thrown out and half the toys are broken and so on, there is a kind of letdown. There's a kind of... uh, Years airs out of the balloon. I don't think that's true for us in Advent. I think St. Paul had it better. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has in store for those who truly love him. We participate and anticipate what eye cannot see nor ear hear Enter our mind in this Advent season. If we open the stable of our life, the crib of our heart, and let the one who is love be born in us, may it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us please stand for prayer.